Your will be done. May we open up the back of the initiative here in our song. May we be holy into the voice and the name of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. This is your house. We are your vessels, your temples to make God. Make us reflection. Your adultery in the cloud of God. We love you and we honor you today. So here we sing.
exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Your will, your way right now, 
such an amazing God that you wait for us to say yes but just like the prodigal son daddy when he turned the moment he turned you ran to him I pray today in this place for those who are in this house those who are watching online daddy I pray as we turn to you Lord God run 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 to us close the gap between us all we want is all of you let your kingdom come in this place. Let your will be done. As we say yes. Come on, church. As we say yes. As we say yes. Say it in your heart right now. Just say yes. Just say yes. Man, humble your heart today. Just say yes. God, whatever your will is, yes. Whatever your kingdom says, yes. Whatever holiness looks like, yes, Lord God. Wherever there is separation, we say no to that. We say yes to you in Jesus' name. We say yes, we say yes, we say yes for your glory and your honor in Jesus' name. And together in faith we say amen and amen and amen. Come on, can we give God just a shout of glory, just a moment of praise for who he is. God exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think. You are a great God. We trust you today. Hallelujah. Jesus be praised. We love you, Lord. Woo! Man, I hope that resonated in your spirit today. I hope it wasn't just words from your mouth, but man, your spirit just got stirred up. It is so natural to say no to Jesus. I need us to hear that. Our natural default system, you know how like when you turn on, you get a new phone, and there's a default, right? And you have to change the default so it's customized. Our natural default to the will of God is no. Our natural default to the things of God is no. The Holy Spirit changes those things from a no to a yes. That's why it's important sometimes that we get in the house of God 
Because, man, when we're alone in our room, sometimes I'll stare at the wall and it, no, no, sorry, sorry, that was old school. So there's like three people that knew that song. Thank you, Pastor Ron, you're with me. When we're alone, our natural self says no. But you get around men and women of God and the spirit stirs. I don't know about you, I need my spirit to stir. The world says no. My flesh says no. My soul says no. But the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells inside of me says yes, yes, yes. Will you join him today in saying yes? Because with him, nothing's impossible. That's why we're standing here today. We're not standing here today so we can have a good religious experience. We're standing here today because Jesus said yes to us. And his whole invitation is for you, because he loves you, to say yes back. Yes back. I love you. I love what he asked Peter. Three times, Peter, look, I love you. Are you in it with me? Do you love me back? Because I want you to know I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. The invitation is, will you love me back? What a great invitation from a God who has no reason to actually want to spend time with you other than his desperate love for you. What a God we have. That's what we're all about here at Connect. You want to know what this church is about? We're about just elevating the name of Jesus. Helping you get connected at a deeper level to him than ever before. Helping you to walk this thing out as a disciple, not just by yourself, but together. And so if this is your first or second time here at Connect, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. We're so glad that you're here. Hey, if you're online, we want to welcome you. Come on, give a shout out to everybody who's online today. We love you guys. Thanks for being a part of the family. Same God that's in this room is the same God that's there as well. Excited that you're joining in with us today. And for us, church isn't about a Sunday morning experience. It really is about learning to live life well together. Pray, pray for one another. Stand in the gap for one another. I hope that you've been standing a gap in the gap for your brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. I hope... I'm not saying occasionally. I'm saying that there's, a, there's an army of God on this side of, the, uh, this side of the ocean standing up. Praying for your brothers and sisters who are in Russia. The same thing going through oppression. We are to stand together. That's how we do life. And so before you're being seated, can you just take a moment? I know we still got masks on for the next little bit. But just take a moment. Say hi to somebody. Tell them you're with them, man. Give them an air high five, a fist bump, something. Get to know somebody around you. Woo. Well, we've got a lot going on this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. Got so much happening this, uh, this morning. So much happening in church, in the life of church. Uh, as, as many of you know, coming up in just a, a few weekends, we're going to be doing uh, an equipping time on how to share your faith with people. Uh, Pastor Rick right over here is going to be helping you. He's helped hundreds of people um, who've led thousands of people to Jesus. Um, and so uh, you can register for that, sign up for that out in the, the chat room after service. But there's so much going on. But one of the most important things this morning for me and I think for us as a team is that we want to honor... Uh, it's someone's birthday. I can't remember whose birthday it is. Someone's birthday this week. Sharon, can you come up and remind? I can't remember. Whose birthday is it this week? I think it's Pastor Danielle. Oh, it's Pastor Danielle's birthday this week. 
I should probably know that. Come on, Oscar. But it's not just any birthday. <gasps> it's a major birthday. It is a major birthday. And I won't blow her cover, but it's not 30, and it's not 70. <laughs> and Jake is 26. <laughs> so I'll let you do the math. <laughs> And Pastor Danielle, I know that moments like this, you're like crawling out of your skin. You hate this attention, but you can do it. Be strong and courageous. <laughs> Just a couple minutes here. So for major milestones like this, we tend to get reflective, right, of the past weeks, yep. months, and decades. Um, so I, what I did was compile what I believe a note of appreciation might look like from us corporately as a church to you, whether we've been here for 20 days or 20 years, um, reflective of the past decades um, at the church. So I'm gonna read that note of appreciation. Uh, Pastor Danielle, we appreciate how you have modeled holy living for us over the weeks and years, decades. I have never heard you speak bad about anyone. I have never heard you gossip. You put others before yourself and have also never heard you complain. Uh, we appreciate how you have faced painful seasons from your past and childhood, went to God with those things, and now use it to help others in their pain. Wow. We appreciate you making us laugh over the months and years. You have a really great sense of humor. You're <laughs> very funny. Uh, we appreciate your vision, forward thinking, and intentionality, intentionality in everything you do. Um, in fact, everything you all see this morning, every color, every fixture, uh, every design, every rug, every piece of furniture, every artwork came from Pastor Danielle's brain and vision. She selected everything and even set and staged everything herself. Um, nothing, nothing was haphazard and there was all intentionality behind it. Uh, we appreciate your prophetic gifts in fact, it was you who kept telling the congregation for several years about a bell you've been sensing and how someday we will not be able to meet in person for church and we should be prepared. And you kept bringing it up and bringing it up, even though there was no evidence that anything like that would ever happen. And then March 2020 happened. We appreciate your strong work ethic, both with your pastoral and CEO roles. At the church, there's no shutting it off for you. There's no end of the work day for you. You realize that. We appreciate how your decision making always seems to lead with the thought, how will this affect people? We appreciate that in all of our dealings, all your dealings with church business, you are wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. We appreciate your depth of spirit and your ability to teach and articulate in a way that we can all understand and digest the deep things of God. And this is a big one. We appreciate your boldness to say and do as the spirit leads, whether that's publicly bringing a word for someone, even though it's scary because you might not know much about the person and all you got to go on is the word the spirit that you just got, uh, whether it's stopping the, the normal flow of service to bring about a time of ministry, um, whether it's publicly washing someone's feet, or even dressing up like a clown for when you led kids' ministry. You hear and you obey, and the Lord speaks through you regularly. Um, 
And finally, I'm gonna say something that I know everybody in this room is thinking, and maybe never said to Pastor Danielle. We even talk about it at the dinner table, right? Babe, you'll see. Um, but if you ever auditioned for The Voice, <laughs> you would turn four seats in the first 10 seconds, and you would clean house, and you would win the whole thing. And you all know it. You all know it. Your voice is that good. So we appreciate you leading us in worship and worshiping over us over these past decades and now, now Jake. Um, so thank you. So that's happy birthday. We appreciate you. We love you. And And thank you for putting up with me for all of those birthdays. I agree with the voice, by the way. Can we work that out? Yeah. <laughs> At least American Idol. At least American Idol. Thank you, Ron. Exactly. Something. No, baby, happy birthday. And I want to echo everything that Sharon said. The truth is, um, you know, you guys get to see us uh, on stage. You get to see us um, in, in, in the roles, in the ministry that we have uh, in our calling. But I get to see her behind closed doors. And I honestly don't know very many people at all who love the people that have been entrusted to them and battle for them when no one knows it more than Danielle. She fights for you. She prays for you. She is she may not even know your name. She'll literally say to me, hey, who was that guy in the third row in the second seat, it was brown seat. It was a, he, he had a black. What was his name? Because God just put something on. God has something. You've got a warrior who fights for you, not just a pastor who loves you. So, babe, thank you for setting the example for me um, and for being not only by my side, but being a co-pastor, a co-builder, a co-leader, and a co-lover of Jesus. Uh, all these years. So happy 50th. We love you, baby. Can't wait to celebrate with you this week. And after today, don't text us. We're going away for a week. So I love you. So we always say, look, if, uh, if, if we're away and the place burns down, call the fire department. There we go. Right? Uh, find out about when I come back. Hey, are you guys ready for the word today? Because uh, I'm, I'm, really I'm, I'm really ready to, to, to bring this today to talk with you about this. And since you have your Bibles, can you open with me to Joshua chapter 5? Joshua is the sixth book of the Old Testament. Um, and it's, it's the story of God's people coming out of the wilderness into the promised land, into the fullness of what God has for them. And that's actually, it's a picture of discipleship. It's a picture of a, a, a life walking it out with Christ. That's what the promised land is, a, a life walked out with Christ. And the title of my message today uh, is, I don't know. I just don't know. No, I mean, I know the title of my message. The title of my message is, I just don't know. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself uncertain about something that you used to be absolutely certain about? I mean, have you ever found a time in your life where, you know, you, you, you know that you knew that you knew, but now you're not so sure of what you thought you were so sure about? Just me? Can I ask the question, what made us feel this way? 
What made us so uncertain? Was it a bad breakup? Was it a, a seeming end to a dream? Was it the time, the amount of time that we were still in the middle of the crisis? Was there a time that we were so sure of God, so sure of our calling, so sure of his promises until? See, see the reality, my friends, is this. All of us have these until moments. All of us have this time of uncertainty in our life. The problem isn't whether we're going to be uncertain about issues. The, the, the challenge for us is how do we respond to them? How do we discern how to, how to respond in the middle of these uncertain times? Because those are the issues. Those will be the decision-making process for what holds our future and actually keeps us in intimacy with Jesus himself. See, the truth is, and something that we've got to get our feet into, is that certainty is a key element. Certainty is a key element in a life of faith. In a life of peace, and so many of us are looking for peace in this uncertain world. As our generation changes, as the world changes, as, as, as the elements of society, gas prices and food and workplace begin to change, there's so much need for peace. And certainty is one of those things that's a key element to keeping intimacy with Jesus himself because it produces faith. I love what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says in the NIV. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's the assurance. It's confidence. It's assurance. Confidence in assurance in whom it's confidence, it's certainty in whom we've entrusted our life to. Who have you entrusted your life to? Because it will determine whether we are certain or not. See, but the enemy knows, the enemy knows, if he can simply move us off of hope a little bit, then he can move us away from faith. And he can move us into, if he can move us away from faith, he can move us into an uncertain belief rather than a living hope. It, yeah, I mean, I, I believe, but I'm not really certain about it. Yeah, but I don't have an uncertain belief. Peace comes from a living hope in a living Savior that overcame death, hell, sin, and the devil. There's a living hope that we need to have. But when we actually fall into this uncertainty, the boldness that we used to approach life with turns into a coldness that our, whole, that our heart falls into. That's why we've been talking. That's why Jesus talks about it. That's why he's so, apparent, uh, uh, so powerful about talking about the end times and stuff we've been mentioning over the last few months about labor pains and how they are increasing. Because in Matthew 24, 12, he says, look, in, this, in these kind of moments, uncertainty rises and the love of many will grow cold. See, in, in times of persecution, uncertainty arises. When labor pains increase, the opportunity for uncertainty increases. That's why we have to know whom we have believed in. We have to know whom we have entrusted. We don't just know church because church might not exist. We can't simply be committed to an ideology, a philosophy, a denomination. We have to be committed to a king. Because no matter where we are or what we face, he is there in the midst of it. 
certainty. But times of uncertainty can easily help us grow cold. That's why I love in this text, Joshua finds himself uh, finally coming to the promised land, right? He's been waiting for this moment for 40 years. He was one of the 12 spies. Do you remember they go in, search out the promised land? Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, come back and say, we can do this thing. This is awesome. We got it. So for 40 years, he's been waiting for this moment. But now, he stepped into the moment. And when he stepped into the moment, now he actually has to face Jericho. It's one thing to talk about what you're going to do when you face somebody compared to what you do when you're face-to-face with them. Not only is he facing Jericho, but what we're going to see is he's facing, as he gets ready to face Jericho, he runs into this supernatural being with a sword drawn. And he doesn't know whether he's for him or against him. And in this moment of challenge, uncertainty creeps in. My friends, when you and I are facing overwhelming, seemingly overwhelming odds, there will be moments of uncertainty that creep in. The issue is not whether we have it, it's how do we discern it. Let's look at this together. Joshua 5, verse 13. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, let me just stop there for a second. That Hebrew text means when he was kind of in the fields outside of Jericho. He, He was trying to get, he was trying to kind of scope out the enemy's position. He was trying to get a read on the situation. So he found himself in a challenge and he was trying to get a read on it. The Bible says, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing there before him with his drawn sword in his hand. How many of you know that is not a situation you want to find yourself in? And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or against us? And he said, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant?" And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did it. Before we go any further, I want to tell you what I believe is happening here. The man he runs into is not an angel, is not a human being. The man he runs into is Jesus Christ. This is called a theophany. It is a pre, it's, it's Jesus coming to earth pre-incarnate moment. Before he's born in the manger, he shows up in, on earth. And we see it in multiple places in the Old Testament. And the reason I can believe this is from the context of the, uh, of the story. Firstly, the Bible says Joshua fell down and worshipped him. The Bible, in every other occurrence, says if it was an angel, an angel would have said, stop worshipping me. Stop it. I am not to be worshipped. I'm a worshiper like you. Don't worship me. Then, listen to the response of the man. The man says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. That's Jesus' position. Read Revelation 19. When he comes back, he's riding a white horse whose name, he has a name faithful and true. Out of his mouth comes the sword of the spirit and the armies of the Lord are following him. Jesus, when, when he's at trial, says, do you not think that I, can call, I couldn't call legions of angels to come get me? Yeah. And then, listen to Joshua's response to that. He says, my Lord, Adonai, in Hebrew. The name, a name for God, Adonai. 
Master, King, Lord. Then if you flip the page, because even though the page flips to the next chapter, it's the same story. This person who once was Lord in this moment, Joshua says, and then the Lord says to me, and that word, Lord, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh is the, is the official name of God. It is how he introduces himself. What we see in this moment is in the middle of an opportunity for uncertainty, Jesus shows up. Man, what comfort that should bring to us today. Man, we may be looking at our largest Jericho we've ever seen. Walls impossible to climb. An army too small to take it. But Jesus will show up. How many of us know that there are times where we are certain of something until we get in the middle of it? And then things change. Like you were so certain you were going to be the best spouse. Before you got married, you're like, I'm going to be the best spouse ever. We're going to have, our marriage is going to rock. It's going to be the best thing ever. Then you got in the middle of it. Come on, somebody. You'd be like, what happened? Like before you have kids, you're like, man, I'm going to be the best parent and my kids aren't going to run my life. I'm going to put my foot down. Then you have one. And you chase them around. Right? You are so certain out when you hear a sermon on Sunday morning. Until something different. You step into something different during the week. When you get that doctor's report. When that coworker challenges your belief. When that lifelong friend walks out of your life. Or leaves your church. Then you start to wonder, am I really so sure of what I was sure about? I was talking to some of the guys this week. We were talking about this. We were talking about how at times when we have, co- when we have people come over to fix things at the house, right? Like a, a, a toilet or a leaky drain or whatever. And, you know, they get there. And you're like, you're sure that this is Tim the Toolman Taylor. You're like, I'm positive this is Bavila. Like, he's the best. It's going to be, he knows what he's doing. I'm all good. This is fantastic. About half an hour in, you're like, I'm still pretty sure he knows what he's doing. I'm pretty sure. 45 minutes later, you start to sweat. I don't even know what's going on here. I mean, how bad is this going to be? It's been 45. An hour later, you're like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. It's ridiculous. What's changed? Time. Time. See, here's what we have to understand in our own lives. The truth is, there is a, quote, acceptable time that we all place on a faith moment. There is some sort of acceptable time that we all place on a faith moment. Now, when it's heavenly faith, we understand where that time and when that time is in heaven. And we're okay with waiting for that. But when it's tangible faith, when it's something real for us, an issue we really have to face here on this earth, We all have a time frame for its completion. And when it has not shown up, when we believe it should have shown up, uncertainty creeps in. And this is when we're challenged. Because we are certain about something until something bigger comes into the picture that wasn't there before. And if you've ever felt that way, I know i felt that way plenty of times. If you've ever felt that way, you're in good company. Because Joshua feels this way. Joshua, for 40 years, was certain. I am certain, man. 
He's so certain that they could take the land, he convinces an entire generation to risk their lives to take the promised land. But now he's in the middle of it. And the opportunity for uncertainty rises. Not only is he looking at Jericho, but then when he looks at Jericho, there's this big dude with a drawn sword, and he's uncertain what side he's on. And he's like, are you for me? Are you against me? Because I'm trying to figure this thing out. I mean, look, can, I, I just, can you wait just one moment? Because I'm already trying to figure out this problem over here. God, can I just have one problem to figure out at a time? I get it. Paul tells us it happens to disciples, New Testament people like you and I, who love church. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, he tells a story about Demas. Demas was such a disciple, so, so, so much in love of, with, with, with the things of God, that he traveled with Paul all over the place doing ministry. Until ministry got hard. Until there was prison time. Until there was persecution. Then the Bible says Demas was out the gate. Because something bigger, come on, got in the way. And something he was once certain about, he became uncertain of because circumstances changed. Isn't this Peter's story in the garden? Come on, could we find a better example of this? Peter in the garden. He is so certain Jesus is who he says he is that he cuts off an ear of a dude trying to arrest him. But then, just a few moments later, in the courtyard... He finds himself denying him. Why? Because something had come into the picture that wasn't there before, and uncertainty crept in. My friends, the issue is not uncertainty. The problem is that uncertainty will always cloud our perception of the promise. Uncertainty in our lives will always cloud our perception, how we see the promise, how we see the promise maker. We see it clearly until. What's our until moment? How big does our Jericho have to be before uncertainty creeps in? What was it for Peter? Because I believe in Peter we probably can see ourselves. Because in Peter it seems like there was distance, disappointment, and disagreement. And uncertainty will always be produced through distance, disappointment, and disagreement. Matthew 26, 58 says this, that Peter, after Jesus was arrested, Peter was following him from a distance. From a distance. He allowed distance to get between himself and Jesus. Think about this. Just moments before this, they were so close that he pulled a sword to defend him. But now, something had changed. The circumstance was different. There were soldiers involved. There, there, there were chains. There was anger. There was stuff going on that changed. And so his certainty, his distance, his proximity to Jesus changed. And I don't believe it was just distance. I think in my own way, I see it, is that there was disappointment. Disappointment probably in the way that he thought Jesus should have reacted. I mean, what Jesus should have done. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, how, how dare Jesus heal the ear of the dude I just cut off and then turn around and rebuke me for doing it? I was just trying to protect him. I was trying to do what's good. I was just trying to be what I always told him I'd be. 
And now he's going to turn around? He didn't even fight for me. He fought against me. What's going on? Then the Bible says he walks into the courtyard filled with people who disagree with who Jesus is. And he settles down. And between the distance he allowed between himself and Jesus, his unchecked disappointment and being surrounded by disbelief, uncertainty quickly clouded his perception of the promise and the promise maker, and he flaked out. Peter, the rock, the speaker for the 12, the founder of the church, flaked out. Because of distance, disappointment, and disagreement. The truth is, my friends, that uncertainty is not really the problem. Not finding Jesus in the middle of it is. Our problem isn't, like, there's no condemnation if you've been uncertain. You're human. If you have ever been uncertain, join the crowd. <laughs> Hallelujah, you're a human being. The problem isn't that we're uncertain. The problem is we don't look for Jesus in the middle of it. I mean, I love that Jesus shows up right in the middle of Joshua scoping out Jericho, right? He's right in the middle of trying to figure out how to do it. Right in the middle of trying to use his logic to figure out how he was going to overcome Jericho. But here's the problem. When we use our logic to try to figure out our uncertain times, sooner or later we'll realize the walls are too big and our army is too small. And uncertainty will create a smallness inside of us that keeps us from walking in what God's called us to walk in. Jesus steps into the middle of it and waits for Joshua to come to him. And I love, one of the things I love about this story is that Jesus didn't answer the question the way that he expected it. Right? (laughs) Right? Come on. Because Jesus doesn't answer the question at all. Because literally Joshua is trying to figure out which is my bigger problem, Jericho or this dude? Are you for me or against me? Yeah, irrelevant question, Josh. Literally, Jesus shows up and says, the question you're asked, how many of us know that we ask lots of irrelevant questions to Jesus? And then we get mad because he doesn't answer them. He's like, irrelevant question. I don't care about any of that. Here's my answer. I'm for the will of the Father. I'm for the will of the Father. Whatever the Father has me to do, I'm under his authority. So I will do his will. This isn't anything strange for Jesus. We see it in the garden in Luke 22. Daddy, not my will, but your will be done. It's always been about the Father's will. But here's the challenge and the trap that we fall into in these times in our modern Christianity. In this tension that we've been talking about between being a believer and a disciple. Because in these moments, as believers, when we face these moments of uncertainty, we try to get God on our side. We try to get God on our side. We're trying to figure out, how do I get God on my side? That's why we love sermons about principles and patterns and the five keys to X, Y, Z. Why? Because if we just do these keys, God is now forced to be on my side. I wonder how this conversation would have been if it was us. 
If we would have been Joshua, then Jesus turned around and didn't answer our question. We would have been like trying to convince him to get on our side. Trying to give him all the reasons why he should be on our side. To remind him of all the things we've done for him. Or maybe try to bargain with him. I mean, God, if you do this, then I'll do that for you. Come on, how many of us have bargained with God? But this is the trap. This is why good works has such a hold on us. Because it wants to build up the merits of good deeds. It's like, we're, it's like we're putting deposits in the United Bank of good deeds. So when we face times of insecurity, we can go to God, who is our bank teller, and say, I'd like to make a withdrawal, please. I mean, after all, look at all the things that I've put in. And by doing good works, we believe that it entitles us to God's favor. Doing good works forces God to be on our side. That's what we believe. It forces him. Certainly, after all that we've given, given to him or given up for him, he should be entitled, we should be entitled to think he should be on our side. And this is where we believe one of the biggest lies. And I hear this all the time in church. God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. It is one of the greatest lies that has been perpetuated in our times. It is completely and entirely unbiblical. It got quiet in here real fast. <laughs> Just going to give you the truth from the Bible. God is not moved by our good deeds at all. God helps those who humbly accept his good grace as is it attached to his will. God helps those who humbly accept his good grace as that grace is attached to his will. Paul says in Romans eleven six, everything is from grace. Therefore, it cannot be based on works. If it was works, then grace would no longer be grace. You've got to choose. Either you are saved by grace or by works. You are either blessed by the same grace because if grace is no longer grace, then you ain't saved by it. We are blessed by grace and grace alone. And if we're honest with ourselves, on top of all that, I'm going to be really honest. Part of the problem is that the works that we're doing aren't actually works of faith anyway. They're simply good things. We've stopped sinning. That's a response to the love of God. Like, that's something we should do. Well, I mean, I'm I'm nice. I'm, I'm being kind. Good. Those are fruits of the Spirit, not seeds of faith. Those are great things. I'm not saying don't do them. But they're not seeds of faith. And we spend our energy and our effort trying to get God to do something he already does. Romans 8.31 says, say this to anything. If God is for me, who can be against me? God is already for us. Somebody say amen. amen. But here's the problem. Stay with me. Just because God is for us doesn't mean he's on our side of the issue. Yeah, yeah. Just back that up. Yeah. Democrat, Republican, Green Party, Independent, <laughs> thinking that there's an aisle in the kingdom when there's only an altar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Just because God is for us doesn't mean he's on our side of the issue. Yeah. 
He's for our good. He's, he's for his will in our lives. He is fighting for his, our good based on the way he sees it. For his will to be done in our lives. That's where certainty is found. I am certain that no matter what I face, that my God is for the good of my life and his will is being, for, is being fought for by the Holy Spirit in my life. The reality, my friends, is disciples are not, at, are not asking if God is on their side, but asking how can they be on God's side. President Lincoln was asked during the Civil War, do you believe that God is on our side? He said the issue is not whether God's on our side, but whether we're on God's side or not. It's why it's so important Joshua finds Jesus in the midst of this. He recognizes who Jesus is. He humbles himself. He begins to worship him. And he asks him, how can he serve him? His first response in this uncertain time is how, Lord, speak to your servant. How can I serve you? Joshua wasn't trying to get Jesus to serve his vision, his will, his need, but he was asking how he could serve Jesus' will and Jesus' vision. See, my friends, there is a holy commission to our mission. Joshua, I mean, Joshua's purpose was not to defeat Jericho. That Jericho was his obstacle. His purpose was to serve the king. And in serving the king... He overcame his obstacle. Because in serving the king, that is what gave framework to his faith. What is the purpose of my faith? The purpose of my faith was not to overthrow Jericho. The purpose of my faith is to figure out how to serve the king. How do I stand in holiness? Come on, my friends. It's one thing to be strong and courageous. And it's another thing to stand in holiness on holy ground in the midst of the face of your enemy. The Bible says, my God will prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. That's only if we stay in the presence of the enemy. It's when we become so certain we remove ourselves from it that we miss the table he set for us. I think many times uncertainty arises in us because our purpose is confused by us. Uncertainty arises in us because our purpose is confused by us. I know my purpose is to fix up my marriage, or I got to get that person saved, or I got to succeed in business. I got to be a great parent. I've got to be the best Christian I can be. And that pressure begins to distort the picture of our purpose. It's like when you squeeze a balloon at one end, it begins to bulb on the other end, it overinflates. And pressure so often overinflates the area that our will needs. What do I need to feel okay? What do I need to feel safe? What do I need to feel heard and approved? What speaks to my soul? And pressure distorts the picture. How do I know? We were talking about this week in our group. How do I know our purpose is distorted? Because the way that we pray. Because the Bible says from the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. So when our prayers for our business sound like this, God, God, I need increase in my business. God, I I need a promotion, God. I I need favor with my boss. Don't get me wrong. None of those things are wrong. And God may give you those things, but that is not your purpose at your marketplace. 
Your purpose at your marketplace, how do I serve my king today? God, how do I, Father, show me how to serve you today when I walk in. Because how I serve him today may be different than how I serve him tomorrow. It's not just having the characteristics of Christ. It's following the cause of Christ. That's why we need to ask the Holy Spirit. There needs to be a prayer that says, Daddy, when I'm walking in, how can I serve you today in my family? How can I serve you as a husband? Lord God, how can I serve you in the house of God today? How can I serve you today in my friendship? How can I serve you as I get ready to go have lunch with my neighbor? How can I serve you in that person? Not how can I be nice, how can I be kind? That should happen already. Jesus puts it like this in Luke 4. Verse 8, you want to know really what life is about? Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Not serve your will as you think it is related to Him. Serve Him only. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6.10, not my will but your will be done. So when Joshua faces these moments, the impossible walls of Jericho, This huge supernatural warrior with a sword drawn, when he faces these times of uncertainty, what does he do? What does he do? He finds Jesus in the middle of it. He doesn't allow any distance between himself and Jesus. Did you hear what he said? Now, if I was unsure of a warrior who had a sword drawn and was that big, I'm not sure my first response would be to run to him. The Bible says when he sees him, he goes to him. He closes the gap. Come on, my friends, if we're uncertain, one of the very first things that we should be doing is making sure that we're closing the gap, any gap that we've left between ourselves and Jesus. We need to be going to him, standing with him in the midst of that issue and actually having a conversation, not trying to be like Jesus. What would Jesus do? But trying to be with Jesus in what he's doing. He humbles himself. He starts to worship him. Did you know his first act of serving the king becomes the means through which his obstacle would be removed? Worship. Jericho fell in the midst of worship. The first thing he did was worship. Because worship of the king will always be an atmosphere that dismantles doubt. When we're dealing with any kind of disappointment, the Bible says in Psalm 1611, in his presence there's fullness of joy. So when we begin to be uncertain, man, there's a, there's a time for us just to begin to worship because there's something inside of us that's going, that, that disappointment's going to rise up. And we need to get in worship because in worship there's a dissipation of doubt. Then he does something that's beautiful. He takes off his shoe. Now, it doesn't sound like quite a big deal, does it? But taking off a shoe for a soldier is one of the most vulnerable things he can do. Because as a soldier, you have to have a good stance. you got to be able to have your feet planted in the ground to take the blow, to deliver a blow. When you take off your shoes, it makes you vulnerable to your feet being sliced. Your, your feet being cut up and burned by the hot desert sand, by the thorns and the bristles. This is a moment of complete vulnerability before Jesus. He didn't bow up and make it happen. He didn't pick up his sword and do it himself. He humbled himself and became vulnerable. 
There was an exchange of trust between himself and Jesus. Where standing in holiness became more important than standing in happiness. He comes into agreement with Jesus. Agreement with what holiness looks like in that moment. And in that moment, there's no room for disagreement. Because there's already agreement. We get into the power of Matthew 18, 19, where two touch anything in agreement, and it's done by the Father. It doesn't need, it doesn't need to, uh, to be the crowd when we've got the king. Our generation is so often moved to get the agreement of the crowd when we already have the agreement with the king. Holiness will not be found in the agreement of our crowd. Holiness will be found in agreement with our king. What does holiness look like in this moment, God? Because the Pharisees thought holiness looked like stoning the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus thought holiness was extending grace. The Pharisee thought holiness looked like not allowing the woman who had a questionable past to touch Jesus, even to be in his presence. Jesus understood that holiness looked like showing love. What your religion will tell you is holiness is very often different than what Jesus agrees holiness looks like in that moment. The reality is his obedience positioned him to hear the word of God that brought certainty on how to lead the people of God. And then the Bible says, God gave him a strategy to overcome the enemy he was facing. By serving the king, closed the gap of distance and created intimacy. It dealt with any possible disagreement by coming into the power of agreement with Jesus. And it handled any residue of disappointment by creating a connection to joy. Because Nehemiah verse 8 verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Our certainty, my friends, can never be founded on getting God onto our side, but, but simply making sure that we are positioned on his side no matter what comes. No matter what comes. The circumstance of my life is not greater than the creator of my life. I'm not looking for agreement with the crowd. I'm standing in agreement with the king. I was so moved, just kind of as we close today, I was so moved by a story I read last week in the book that we're reading called Where, Where, Where Faith is Forbidden. And it's the story of Sergei Besserov. Sergei Besserov was, uh, spent a lot of time in prison for the majority of his life. He was a criminal. He was a bad dude. And his last time that he was in prison, his cellmate was a Christian. So his cellmate started talking to him about Jesus. And he literally said to his cellmate, don't ever talk to me about Jesus. Don't even pray for me. I don't, need, don't, don't waste your time praying for me. But his cellmate didn't heed his warning. He, so for three years, three years, three years, he just prayed for him every day, every day, every day, every day, praying, 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 praying because he got in agreement with what God had for Sergei's life. He wasn't moved by the crowd. He was certain by what the king said. 
One day, Sergei turns around to him and says, all right, I surrender. He gives his heart to Jesus. Before long, after just a short six months knowing Jesus, Sergei was the one leading Bible studies in the prison. Even after his release, he would go back all the time and do prison ministry around the different prisons of his country, knowing that Jesus could save anybody. Inspired by what Jesus did inside of him, he started a church in a country where being Christian was illegal. And the church was growing and growing and growing. It was growing so much so that the newspaper wrote an article about the church and at the end of the article said, what are we going to do about the problem of Sergei Besarab? Well, the answer to that question came a few days later. While he was in his front room playing worship and spending time with God, the son of a local imam stood outside of his house and shot him dead. I mean, the story's over, right? I mean, certainly God can't move anymore. This is the end. Was it really worth it? But the story doesn't end here. Because as news of his death spread throughout the prison system, guys who Sergei had witnessed to who had not come to Christ were broken by his sacrifice and began one after another after another to give their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The best miracle that happened in the midst of that is the church kept growing and the boy gets arrested. Now what you don't know, because the book doesn't tell you the rest of the story, is the boy who gets arrested, come on somebody, that's right, judgment, he should be arrested and put behind bars because that's where he belongs, I know that's how we're feeling. The boy gets put in a cell with a Christian who Sergei had discipled and led to Jesus. And with the same grace and the same compassion that he had received from Sergei, he gave to the young boy who ended Sergei's life. And before long, that boy did the same thing that Sergei did, got on his knees and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It ain't over till it's over. And even after it's over for us, the legacy we leave behind speaks beyond us. I am certain of one thing, that my God is for me. That Jesus Christ came, he died for me, he rose again on the third day, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and on one day when the Father speaks, he will step back out on the cloud and put his feet back on this earth once again, and we will be transformed in the instant, in this presence, in the, like a thief in the night, we will be changed to be just like him, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. I am certain of one thing, if I die on this side, I will live on that side for me to die is Christ, but to live is gain. That's what I'm certain of. And that's something no circumstance or situation can rob from me. Because I am in agreement with what my king says about me. No matter what we face, if we find Jesus in the midst of it, we will be certain of the holy commission found in the mission. To serve our king, no matter what we face. Chris, can you come real quick? Here's what I'm asking you.
today? Are you finding your life at a distance between yourself and Jesus? I'm not asking you, are you a good person or a bad person? It's irrelevant. Wrong question. Is there distance between you and Jesus? I need you to know that's not his heart for you. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come back to Jesus. The prodigal son was living in the pigsty with all the pig dirt and the pig smell, with all the muck and the mire that's in that sty. The Bible doesn't say he took a bath, a shower, got in the river and cleaned himself up. The Bible just says, man, he realized he was away from his father, and so he got up and he started back towards his father's house. And when his father saw him from a distance, he ran to him and embraced him. Because God's heart for you is to have no distance between you and him. Nothing. If there's something that you've been disappointed with God about, disappointed that he didn't show up for, or that you trusted him maybe with and it didn't work out the way that you thought it would, it's okay that we're disappointed. It's just not okay to allow that root of bitterness to stay inside of us because it'll kill any joy we've got. Let's deal with it. Come to Jesus. Have you been around so much disbelief lately? People who've been telling you Christianity's crazy? Don't be one of those religious zealots that somewhere down deep inside you start to let your heart grow cold? Today's the day. There's no guilt or shame. There's just love. That may not have been the way that you were raised. The way that you were raised may have been that you made your bed and you lie in it. You better get right before you come home again. You better deal with your issues before you walk back in this door. But that's not the love. That's not the God. That's not the Father of the Bible. It's not the Father of Jesus. He says, man, you may smell like a pig. You may have the pig's die all over you. I don't care about any of it. Come on. Because I got arms open wide. Why stay at a distance? Why stay uncertain? When the certainty of my love can change everything. All it takes is for you to say, Jesus, here I am with all I've got. What we sang today, yes, God, I want you. Yes, I'm saying yes. I'm not interested in whether or not you're going to join this church. I'm asking you, will you come to Jesus today? It's the only thing that matters. Because tomorrow I might be gone, this church may be closed. But Jesus won't be. Why not say yes? Let's pray. In this world of uncertainty, there's one thing that I'm certain of. For God so loved you, he sent his only son to die in your place so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but that through Jesus the world could come 
to be saved. If you confess Jesus with your mouth today as Lord of your life and believe in your heart that he rose again and died for you today, you'll be saved. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And if this is something that you truly desire in your life, you pray from the bottom of your heart and our God will meet you right in those seats. Right in that living room if you're online. Right in that car that you're listening to the podcast on. Right now, our God will meet you where you are. Pray this with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am to close the gap between us. I want no distance between myself and you. So I'm willingly giving you my life. I'm saying yes to you, Jesus. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. To cleanse me of all of my sin. To forgive me of everything I've done wrong. Fill me with your spirit. Make me your child. Help me to walk this out every day by knowing you better. From this day forward and forevermore, I'm choosing to serve you with everything I've got. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we give God some glory, Lord? Thank you for freedom that's found in Jesus. No sin is unforgivable. No sin is unforgivable. Shame has no power on you. Hey, look, if you prayed that prayer, whether it's the first time or the 500th time, the Bible says the angels in heaven right now are partying because you made that decision. We're partying with you. We want to help you walk this thing out because we're not, we're dedicated to help you become a disciple of Jesus, not just a believer in Jesus. This is Pastor Rick and Kathy right over here. Right after service, if you made that decision, can you come talk to them really quickly? They've got books they love to give you that were written by Pastor Rick. This book's for adults. It just explains kind of what you just did and how to live this out. This book is for uh, teens and tweens. If you've got some teens and tweens, you've got some friends who are teens and tweens, pick it up. Man, we, we've never had a generation facing more challenges of belief than we have today. Sow something into somebody. But we're really glad that you made that decision. I'm believing the Holy Spirit will empower you to live life like never before. How can I serve my king? What a question. How can I serve my king? Can I just say this really quickly? I'm going to have Pastor Ron come. Did you notice I'm not asking you, how can I serve my church? Because for years, that has been the question. Don't get me wrong. In serving the king, we will serve his house. But serving in the house is not always serving the king. When we ask that question, every time we're in the car going somewhere, God, how can I serve you as I go to this lunch? How can I serve you as I'm going into work today? Lord, as I'm coming into church, how can I serve you? When we ask that question, then it becomes a personal connection to Jesus, not a religious connection practical connection to Jesus. We're asking the wrong question. What would Jesus do when we should be asking the question, what is Jesus doing? 
and how do I join him where he is? Amen? Amen. Come on, can you give Pastor Ron a hand as he's coming? Do you receive that word today? Come on. I'm going to steal this. of our life. And what Peter was doing in that moment was he mistook the resource as his source. He, he mistaken the fish as his source for life. In fact, when Jesus encountered him, he was weary. He had fished all night. He was mending what was his uh, workmanship to be ready for the next day of work. And I, I know I go through life sometimes working and working and thinking that it's going to produce something because my focus is on that production rather than the source of my life. And Peter had a life-changing moment in that day because he allowed Jesus to come into his situation, which was an empty boat, after working all night long. And he allowed the Lord to speak the word in that moment. And his life was transformed, realizing that here was the word of God being spoken right in the midst of his situation. And then he said to him, go out and catch something. And in that moment when he caught it, he realized the source was telling him about the resource that he could have. And that resource was then able to bless other people when he brought it back to the shore. Church, let us not forget that Jesus is the source of our lives. In fact, he taught his disciples this as well. After Peter joined him and said, I will choose to follow you as a fisher of men, he taught them how to pray. And Pastor Kyle just talked about that, the Lord's Prayer. And the next moment in Matthew 6, he said, do not worry. Do not worry about what you wear, about what you eat, about the next day. For they each have their own troubles. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will follow along. First fruits. Today we don't know what first fruits are because we just get a salary and we work and we work and we get the resource. But God desires for us to give him our first fruits. And that's what Peter did that day. When the, when the catch came in, he gave it all away. God is desiring for us 
to set aside the first fruits, the first things that come in our lives to him so that we are just taking that step of recognizing that it's not about a resource, but it's about what? Him as our source. Amen. So let's think about that and let that encourage you today as you choose to give. We're giving in so many different ways. We just gave a great gift to the Ukrainians and people who are in need right now. We're giving week after week to this community. And up on your screens are the ways that you can give. You can even point your camera to the QR code there and it will direct you to a site that you can give online. But we also have the kiosks out to the sides here as you go out where you can also give your gift today. Let's pray, church. Father, first of all, we thank you. We thank you. You're a good God. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. We choose today to be your disciples. And we thank you for your daily bread that you give to us. As we put our trust in you as our source. May you bless this gift that we give today. We thank you that you will use it and you will multiply it and you will use it according to your will as we give to you today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Jesus, Lord. 